Chronicles of Bruce Street Mafia. This is a Red Dog Fred production. Camera somewhere. There's a camera here. There's a camera. Welcome back to the Logical Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lodge. Today, I have a very special guest and a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Craig Harris. Craig Harris in the house. What's up, dude? Uh, I'm just hanging out. Just hanging out. So we're here with our headphones on because they're having a birthday party next door. Right, so we're, we're going to like try to not get happy birthday on here because of the copyright. Oh, um, you'll be in debt. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be in so much debt. So <laughs> I, I want to tell everyone what you do for a living you are a soil scientist correct so what does that mean well for about seven more months for about seven more months but this <laughs> yeah. has been what you've done for your life right your life my work. career your my career 33 plus year career now right um uh, soil science um it used to be that i mapped and classified soils um soils are classified like birds uh any animals except it's not kingdom phylum class order and that stuff it's, but there's a taxonomy right there's a taxonomy to it and and different types of soil are managed differently so what i made were management maps and how you can manage the soil uh, for a given area and typically when my career started you were in one county and when you finished that county they moved you to another county uh, and you just worked there until you were done, and they kept moving you around. Hmm. Uh, but um, I moved here from the coast of North Carolina. That was my one, two, three, fourth county uh, that I worked in. And I moved here from there because I didn't like the coast. I was in the best place you could possibly be on the North Carolina coast. But it was still, it was just not, it was very flat. Hmm. The county I worked in had a uh, high elevation of 18 feet above sea level. Wow. So it's pretty so much the same. Flat. Yeah. Yeah. So I moved here um, and got a supervisory position. So you moved here. Mm -hmm. In 2001. To, to pursue soil uh, diversity? No. Yeah. Just, well, <laughs> actually, we had, uh, I had two little kids at that time. Mm -hmm. And. To visit one set of parents, it was six and a half hour drive, and to visit the other set of grandparents, it was another six and a half hour drive. So, uh, by moving to Paris, we could get to each set of grandparents in one day's drive. Okay. Yeah. So my kids grew up learning how to take long road trips. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, so something uh, I got to brag on you about, and uh, I really love this. So one of the uh, soils that you found in Henry County is very unique and special. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, we were trying to finish up the Henry County. We, we did Henry County and Benton County together. Um, and we, those two surveys had, um, they had map, mapping for that. But they were really old, so what we were doing What do you mean really old? Like what? Like what? 50s. 19, okay. It was done in the 50s. The survey was published in the 60s, so it was really old stuff. Okay. And what we were doing was called an update an ex or an extensive revision. Um, so we basically just remapped the whole counties, Henry and Benton. And um, we were getting close to the end, but they wanted to accelerate the end. So we hired a couple of uh, sort of... Um, 
freelance mappers, soil scientists that would come in and we would give them an aerial photo, go map this. Uh-huh. And so one of those guys came in to the office one day and uh, he said, Craig, do y'all map any histosols in this county? And I, I laughed at him because a histosol is the material that it's formed from is entirely organic material. And, you know, all the soils around here, um, the parent material for those is uh, mineral material. So, so let's tell everyone what a histosol is. Let's pump the brakes. So, so what exactly is a histosol and what makes it so unique and special? Okay. Most soils, there are, there are 12 orders um, that all soils can fall, uh, fall into. Um, histosol is one of them. The other 11 are all mineral-based soils oh wow okay and so, so this, this one is unique out of the right, 12. it's entirely organic matter okay um they usually occur in places like peat bogs um in high elevations where there's not uh, erosion and, uh, well a lot of weathering right like, right um and in swamps things like that and he said that word histosol and i kind of just laughed because where you would find where would you find histosol in this county it's with all the clay and all that yeah. right right okay so he said um well i think we need to go take a look so we went out one day and up on henson branch uh, a little further north than the country club and on the east side there's a little pull off at a picnic area and back in the woods there, uh, it was uh, very, uh, very densely uh, populated with trees. And th there was a network of roots on top of the ground that you could walk on. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. This is so right. cool. I love okay. this. Yeah. So um, the, the roots at the top of the ground, that was one clue. And then he took a, what Whereas we, trees normally, they're going to go and dig down right. the ground, right? Right. Okay. And, and normally in those areas, they're mineral soils, but they're very wet. And, you know, the water table's up within a foot of the ground usually. So I wasn't expecting what I saw. And he took what we call a, a soil auger. That's what we map with. We bore a little hole in the ground that's about two or three inches in diameter. And we can look at the characteristics of the soil and classify it that way. So he just took his auger and he held it up in the air and just pushed it down into the ground. Oh, wow. Because it was that soft. Yes, it was that soft. So it was all organic. All organic. Until about three feet. Yeah. Um, so that was just a real surprise because the trees growing in there were not wetland species like cypress or tupelo. They were poplar trees, beech trees, oak, oak trees. Yeah. 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 And that's a, that was a real surprise. And that's why the roots were at the top of the ground. Yeah, it's interesting. When you go back in there, I've, I've taken my children back there several times. It's it's like almost like a waterbed. Um, yep. So, like, there's there's places where you can, like, jump up and down on the dirt, and it vibrates like a waterbed. Like, you, it ripples right. across the soil. It's the most unique. It's yeah, so it's, bizarre. You're, you're on the, the, the roots. You're standing on the roots, and when you jump, you're jumping on the roots, and it, 
sort of sends a pulse out through right. all the network of right. like, soil. And 10, 20 feet away, you can feel that right. jump. That it's somebody... so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Really cool. So this is very unique to this area. Yes. And you guys discovered it. In fact, uh, we don't know of another place in West Tennessee that's okay. like it. Uh, it's, and how big is this area? Um, it's, 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 we're guessing, we can only guess, um, there's about five or six acres that's in one big block. And then as you get out away from the center of that place, it starts, it's in patches. Yeah. Yeah. And finally the patches just fade out and there's a, it, it's, it's in that, in that roadside pull off, there is, um, um, there's like a little spring mm -hmm. that, that they have a pipe and people are always filling up jugs of water and things like that. Right. And there's, um, there is some um, watercress as well, hmm. which I would advise people to be careful and look up how to properly harvest watercress um, <laughs> to avoid liver flukes. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's a really good patch of watercress right there too. So uh -huh. and there's um, also lots of spice bush. You actually introduced me mm -hmm. to the the plant spice bush, which um, foraging is, and I've made several beers with it. Right. Use it all the time to cook with. and Pretty cool plant. Oh, I love it. It's a really cool plant. I use it uh, to make a really good sun tea. The leaves, it's got this orange mint. It's just beautiful, aromatic. Uh, the branches I love to use to smoke. Uh, meats, it's just super aromatic. I've smoked tobaccos with the branches before. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's And the berries, of course, are edible. The seeds are almost that like an allspice. Yeah, yeah. So the berries, so some tribes... Um, would use the pulp of the berries and they would dry those out and they would use them almost like a um a tart um like a turmeric or something like that um or, or a, a, a tamarind sorry almost mm -hmm. like a, a tart addition or like a um oh um like a current or something like that mm, and okay. then they would use the uh, the seed part of the spice bush um, almost like black pepper or allspice. And it, it does have a lemony black pepper taste when it's ground. And nice. we've actually added the dried toasted seeds into our black pepper grinder at home. So you really? get this like little black lemon pepper from the, yeah. So it's a really interesting yeah, bush. Dude, dude. Yeah, it's a really interesting bush. And you're, you're, you're actually the one that introduced me to it. And I, I started playing around because it's so aromatic. It's so just... It's one of these things, like, if you're not sure what it is, you can just pick up the leaf and smell and you're like, okay, that's obvious. It's obviously spice bush. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of those plants that it's found in wet or semi-wet soils. Right. And not because it likes that. It just tolerates it better than others. Right. So know, it outcompetes. species. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Every place that I, there's a pop-up patch uh, that I pick and it follows a clear water creek. And yeah, there's the whole area is, is wet and it it's full of spice bush and i mean we can harvest i mean it takes a while to harvest the berries you gotta oh, sit there yeah. and, and, and pick <laughs> yeah they're, they're not in groups there's just one or two here and, they're and there not big like blackberries no right? and they're not all ripe at the same time right yeah, yeah. they're red and then green and yeah so it's an interesting it's an interesting um yeah, smoke. Put 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 some next time, like with some oak, like just a couple branches. Like if you're like smoking a pork butt or something, mm -hmm. it's very makes I'll a very unique, a very unique flavor. But uh, so th that spring that you were talking about, right? It we we theorize that it is the reason why that soil is there. How, um, how's that? Okay, the, that spring is there as a result of two um, two layers of two geologic layers 
that come into contact with one another. One uh, is called the McNary Formation, and it, it, it's an aquifer. It has tons of water in it. Um, and the other is an aquitard, which means it's very resistant to, um, to the infiltration of water. And those were... How deep do you want me to go in this? <laughs> no, I mean, this is interesting to me because it's, okay. it's how, how this exists. I mean, and this is a very unique geological feature. Okay. So yeah. um, some of these layers uh, are dinosaur age, the Cretaceous period. Okay. Were, and back then, there was an extension of the Gulf of Mexico that ran up into uh, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, and all the way up to um, about Paducah and um, Cairo, Illinois, um, that area. And it was called the Mississippi Embayment. And it was, it was a shallow sea. So all of the rivers that flowed into that at that time um, would either deposit sand, lots of sand, mm -hmm. in, in high... Um, volumes? Yeah, or not volumes, um, high-energy water. Oh, gotcha. Bring sand in there. And then other times uh, when the rivers were steady or, or slow moving water then you would have clay or silt brought in and so you, what you had was a successive back and forth layers of aquatard aquifer aquatard aquifer so any place that those two come together um, the aquifer if if you cut down like a hillside cuts down or creek down into that if you cross those places the aquifer is going to give up its water, and that's what we call springs. I live on the west side of town, and that area has the Wilcox Aquifer, and that's where my well is. Okay. Yeah, and, and my well is just bottomless. There's, there's no way a standard household pump could ever pump dry if you're in that aquifer. Wow. Yeah. So um, that area uh, is on the McNary Aquifer, and we think... The, the positive pressure of pushing the water up from the bottom keeps the uh, infiltration of sediment from Henson Branch from covering that, that organic matter up with sediment, with silt. Interesting. Yeah. And to back it up, we've seen a place on the west side of the county on the middle fork of the Ubayan. Uh, there was a soil that one of the guys that worked for me showed me, and he bored down to about three feet through silt. Um, it's what most people just call dirt. Uh, and then there was an organic layer, a dense, wow. compacted organic matter. It was probably about two feet thick wow. and, and as black as the stuff in the Henson Branch location. Um, so that was an area that was one of these histosols that didn't have enough positive pressure to keep the sediment from covering it up. So, right, and then the sediment right. creeped in. Gotcha. Right. So, how, how, you know, you're talking about um, uh, the different soils um, and, and giving them a time frame. How, how is it that, I mean, is it like a consensus that that soil scientists say, okay, this, this level is going to be dated at this, this level is going to be dated at that. I mean, how does that work? I mean, is it, do you all like have a conference and say, okay, this is, this is how we are dating these things. Cause obviously there's no like carbon dating. Well, there is. Oh, okay. But that's a geologist's job. 
we just steal from the geologist. <laughs> we get okay. information. So in, in mapping soils, you use geology maps, you use topography maps, right. you use all kinds of different gotcha. uh, uh, sciences to uh, put them all together to predict what you're going to find out there on the landscape. And usually it's fairly predictable if you have all these parameters already programmed in. Right. Um, and, and you count on the geologists to be right because they made a map with these geologic layers. Um, and then we use those maps. Sometimes we find that they're wrong. They've, they've assumed that um, a geology went into a certain area because they see it here and they see it over there. So in between must be the same thing. It, it happens occasionally, but um, it's a real, a real benefit for us to map soil with the use of um, geology maps. Because then you find these various, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. The, um, uh, the histosol, uh was had gotten so um, well known. I kind of pushed for it to, to be recognized somehow. TVA found it's on TVA property. Uh, and they found out about it and then they put it into a program where they um, limit access to it or make it a preserve or something something like that um, but uh, some people contacted I wish I could remember her name Sally something at University of Tennessee mm -hmm. and she does paleo archaeology um, and she brought out some grad students and we bored down we took um, big tubes pushed them down in the ground or down in the organic matter, sampled that, and she went through it, you know, layer by layer and picked out little tiny pieces of charcoal. Oh, wow. And was able to carbon date that. So that area is at least five to 6,000 years old. Oh, wow. At okay. least, yeah. Well, what would have created the charcoal? I guess just wildfires? Fires, Okay. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Pretty neat. I, yeah. We were we were hoping that it was going to be at least that old. Yeah. Um, that and that tells you how long Henson Branch has been cut down, right? Uh, eroded, not eroded, weathered down into the landscape. It's right. And it's fairly stable now because of the lake. Hmm. So one of the uh, soils that we've talked about. Um, you and I personally have talked about and I've speculated on has been the Terra Prada in the Amazon. Oh yeah. 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 I believe, I believe I'm saying this right. Um, so it's, it's a giant area for those of you that don't know, it's a giant area of the Amazon. Um, several hundreds of thousands of square acres. I don't know the exact details here. Um, that is artificially man-made soil mm -hmm. and that should not with the current archaeological understanding of human beings and how they moved and civilizations developed in south america and in the amazon that should not exist right but it does yeah and how do we know it's artificial well uh it the soil will weather into certain layers. We call those layers horizons. Um, and we kind of know a natural scheme uh, of layers that are predictable and we know their characteristics, mm -hmm. everything like that. So um, if you see things that uh, are not in a natural progression of layers, 
then we know that it's been disturbed somehow and you know you would predict that it's man uh, disturbed right. yeah i don't know they found shards of clay and they found bones from fish that right. were from both the atlantic and pacific ocean right. it was their yeah. landfill maybe yeah. right Who knows? <laughs> right right i mean it's just it's interesting because when we have this perception of uh, the development of human beings and how long they've been here and the civilizations that have existed and you know there is no real great civilizations in the Amazon that we know about. There were some that were written about, mm -hmm. but we never actually like have seen them. And now, you know, we've known about this giant area that was artificial soil that mm -hmm. points towards a large, you know, agricultural producing area. Right. So to right. feed a sustain a large population. So yeah. since we talked about that, I reread, um, a, it's actually a USDA publication uh, it's only about 25, 30 pages long. Mm -hmm. um, and I read it early in my career. It's kind of re required reading by my okay. supervisor. But it's called uh, Conquest of the Land Through 7,000 Years. And it was, a, it was a, a study that they sent this guy on, and he had a crew. Um, but he went to all uh, parts of the world where there were, they knew there was ancient agriculture. Mm. Uh, older civilizations and he studied these areas and uh, he learned uh, what he developed theories as to uh, the collapse of like the Mayans uh, or the Aztec right yeah so um, these smaller uh, these city-states that's you know back when people were starting to form cities right and it's because they learned how to produce food you know, on and, a large scale, and stay in one place. Yeah, and you can, if you know how to do that, then you can stay in one place and you can develop specialized city size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have specialized jobs at that point because not right. all of your work is needed to make food. Now you can have work to be able to do other things, and a lot of that food, money and. Was preserved with fermentation. fermentation. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd get the. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, he um, so he he went around to all these places and um, in theorizing it, this was the, I guess the beginning of um, the idea of these civilization collapses having a certain um, origin or yeah. a commonality, like a and, Malthusian, right? Um, he theorized that they were so good at the agriculture that they overproduced and then collapsed and then collapsed yeah. because uh, they didn't know anything about soil erosion right right and like in israel and the middle east that you know that really fertile area right know, when we read in, in historical documents like the bible sure um they they had awesome crops they had big orchards um, right olives and things right uh, now, if you go over there, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just rock. It's just rock, and that's because all of the soil was just gone. Yeah, and they and they because couldn't produce of thousands any. of years of human beings. Right, and yeah. it, and he said and it happened fairly rapidly once they started doing large scale agriculture. Right. It happened rapidly. Right, um, and then of was, course rain and diverting water and all these other things which are going to tend to lead towards more erosion. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It exacerbates the yeah. more people you get. Uh, in an area, the more it, um, yeah. it, it feeds on itself. Yeah. And he saw these villages that um, back in biblical times, 
may have had 10,000 people living in them. And now the best they can do with um, small-scale farming is uh, a thousand people right yeah, yeah. and even then percent. yeah yeah right and that's all the land can support yeah. and even then it's pretty yeah impoverished and yeah right yeah they're etching out a living in that mm-hmm. area right yeah mm-hmm. and i know um <clears throat> the sahara desert obviously is relative on a geological time scale a relatively new thing i mean we're talking within like the last fifteen thousand years i mean this was a, a pretty lush landscape and i know it was you know i know the nile um has obviously fed civilization the indus you know rivers fed civilizations i mean we can kind of follow the sediment we can mm-hmm. follow the soil sediment Right. I mean, it, it flooded every year right. and brought in nutrients right. Right. every year. Right. But then they built that colossal right. Ashwan Dam. I think that's what it's oh, called. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. and they that. now, man now controls the flooding. Right. And there's a, there's a risk of um, depleting the soils in, in that Again. area. Again. Sure. Yeah. After thousands of years, we're right. going to relearn this lesson. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's just a different civilization in the same area. Yeah. Relearning the same lesson. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what I guess people don't understand. The importance of, of soil science is, is it's how we grow our food. And and we are, I mean, you know, so we, what, what was it back in the 50s? We learned to capture uh, was ca- capture nitrogen from the air and be able to use that for fertilization. Fertilization, that's right. But that didn't solve our problem when it came to soil science because... That fertilization gets washed out. It doesn't right. get held in the soil. Yeah, nitrogen moves. Right. Yeah, you, know, you put it on the ground, it Unless goes down fixated or away through carbon. Right. 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 But that carbon can be depleted. It can. <laughs> now, um, the thing that keeps it in the ground, um, organic matter. Right. For one, and in soil particles too, they have um, on a microscopic scale. They it's like have, a sponge. It's yeah, capturing um, the nitrogen, the, like the holes in a sponge. Right. These are a little negatively charged surfaces on those particles, both organic matter and mineral matter. Um, and the more of those little negative charges you have, the more you can fix nutrients because most of the plant available nutrients are positively charged we're getting we're getting into deep into chemistry here no but i mean it, um, it, it makes sense because if, and they adhere right right so um if you know your uh periodic table uh potassium has a plus one charge which means it'll attach to a negative okay yeah. but it's but because it because it's a plus one charge it's very easily knocked off and so passing water if there's a little negative charge that it decides it likes better, it's gone. Oh, wow. Um, plus, iron is plus three if it's oxidized. So it's a little heavier. And it'll it'll fix really tight yeah. and almost never get knocked off. Okay. Hence, red soils. Oh. And they're, they're just permanently red because... Okay. But then reduced iron plus two, if iron plus two, um, is also a plant-available nutrient, um, but it's more easily knocked off, moves a little bit, and it can only occur uh, where there's no oxygen. To... Uh, to right, to, so that's a, okay. that's a key um, uh, indication that there's a wetness problem, a water table. When you dig down into a soil, you see a gray or blue-gray layer, then that's permanently saturated. 
uh, and the, all the iron in that so soil it's, is it's, plus two, not plus three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it, in that anaerobic environment, that uh, that iron hasn't right. right. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So we have some um, uh, some iron in the soil. It's a great deal, mm-hmm. but not like uh, areas in Middle Tennessee or areas in the South, Alabama, uh, Georgia. Those are, those are some bright, bright red soils. So as a soil scientist, what do you, ha- you know, uh, what do you predict as far as our ability to sustain our population, let's say here in the United States? I know that we trade on a global scale, and these mm-hmm. are very difficult things to take into account, but... And I realize most of the agriculture here is grown for animal feed as well. So I get that we are facing some very huge uphill problems. But we are. Uh, what 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 is your take on as far as our ability to produce the food that is necessary to feed our growing or our population rather? Yeah, I think we're in in trouble. Um, yeah. Uh, in the not too distant future. Uh, we're going to be losing a lot more of the arable land that we produce food on now uh, for houses, structures, and I don't even solar farms. Uh, that stuff is getting eaten away uh, slowly, slowly, because cities are expanding, getting bigger, um, and we're losing our ability to grow uh, or produce food in an ever increasing amount for the same area. There, there's right. been a steep, steep curve, an exponential type uh, curve from the 1930s and 40s. Um, these old, old soil surveys, if you look in there, even up into the 60s, the crop yield tables that are in the back of that book would say uh, this soil, and it's the best soil in the county, it produces 80 bushels per acre of mm-hmm. corn. And that was just considered phenomenal back then. Mm-hmm. Now we have improved varieties of, of corn, uh, improved practices for planting and harvesting and all that. And we, there are places in the county that can get 250, 260 bushels wow. to an acre. And, but that curve is leveling out. Uh, and science... And the demand is not. Right. Science has yeah. come up with some... Um, improvements, uh, but they're GMO. Well, of and course, they get right. a bad name. Right, right. And and let's explain because a lot of people don't understand what GMO is. So G- GMO is is not the same as um, a lot of people confuse it uh, with natural selection. A lot of people confuse it with. Um, uh, hereditary choosing hereditary traits that have been mm-hmm. bred over uh, multiple generations that is not what a GMO is a, gen- a genetically modified organism is one that has its actual DNA structure mm-hmm. modified usually with another organism right. a completely separate organism um, so and, and sometimes it's not even in the same kingdom it might be a mushroom uh, part of partial piece of a mushroom DNA that's inserted because it has this sequence it's inserted into this crop or what have you. Right. So there's right. a huge difference. A lot of people tend to conflate. I know you're, you're so it's not, obviously you, you don't, but <laughs> well, I just, I, I'm going to clear that up because some of it is, yeah. I mean, you can take um, characteristics from this, this variety of corn and characteristics from this variety and put them together. Correct. 
some of it is that. Some of it is the same most species. Of it is yeah. Interspeciated. Correct. Uh, DNA. Yeah. And so the, the, that is the concern is that it is we've not only have we altered the structure of the DNA, but we have introduced other species that we don't know how the interaction right. in this DNA. Well, where does how does it develop or how? Yeah, does it and where does the evolution of that stop and start go? And, yeah, from yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it can be dangerous, but um, who knows? Know. It's too early. Yeah. Right, and we need yeah. the food. We need the food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I think um, in the future we've got to start producing um, non uh, w without soil. Basically, we've got to um, go outside the box, uh, growing vertically indoors. Why do you think that is a better solution than maybe reducing our meat consumption, where so much of our our land is used for? to grow food for animals right why is it that and i'm i'm a guy that sells cheeseburgers and eats a lot of cheeseburgers <laughs> so why is it that we want to always find these alternate solutions where a very easy solution would be like hey we could all just say we're going to skip three meals a week and not eat meat yeah well how do you mandate that well I know it's not even a mandate but you understand what i'm saying like if we right. could collectively sure. recognize like that would be a very easy fix for a problem like how do we grow more food well we just don't convert that food into meat right so it takes like 10 pounds of grain to make one pound of meat mm -hmm. this is just math i'm not a vegan or whatever i don't want stinking liberal no no i'm not like making that suggestion i'm just saying like <laughs> there's easier solutions to this uh not monocropping right um, tends yeah. to help i i think it's yet to be proven how far um Number one, organic uh, organic farming can get you. Right. How, how, can it produce the same amount of yield? And number two, and reduce the waste. Right. Because uh, well, I mean, organic is. I mean, we all know it does waste. The waste is greater. I mean, right. Inorganic. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, wow. What was I gonna say? <laughs> Um, Talking about the challenges of organic, you know, can it yeah, produce how the far, same yield? How far can it take us? Right. And um, uh, what do we do after that? Right. After if we if we say no more eating animal, and and we get the sure. whole world sure, to sure. agree on it, then we just passed uh, eight billion people right. on the planet, right. and it wasn't. It's since I lived here. I've lived here twenty years. Um, we we were passing six billion. So in the, right. the last two decades, we've added two billion people right. to the planet. How far do you know? How far do we take that? Yeah, I think the more serious we say, should mandate people. Is, <laughs> that's brilliant. the solution. That's the solution. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was uh, Jonathan Swift. Right? That's it. Yeah, yeah I Jonathan was going to reference Swift. that. Yeah. <laughs> eat babies. Yeah, that's right. Eat, <laughs> eat the eat the Irish. Yeah, eat the Irish. Um, you know, I, I don't know how far, I don't, I don't know who decides that, it, that those kind of conversations make me uncomfortable as far as like, uh, you know, um, if there's if government gets involved or any kind of population control or anything like that. But obviously we are going to hit a point. We are going to hit some sort of, um, Malthusian, I keep using that word, but Malthusian, um, you know. It's not being Ceiling. talked about, and it's not going to be talked about as long as there are countries 
who still participate in imperialism, like what's going on in the world now. Correct. Um, because that's the upfront uh, topic. Right. Yeah. So if we get beyond ourselves and our greed, uh, then we can start talking about things like that. Yeah. Why we got to do it if China ain't going to do it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I hear that argument all the time. It's like, exactly. well, that doesn't mean that we still shouldn't do something. I mean, good, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, and I'm not advocating to not eat meat. Obviously, I love cheeseburgers. <laughs> I mean, Who but my, right. But I mean, there's just there, there are certain obvious solutions to some of these problems that we just kind of want to glare over because it's going to maybe make us uncomfortable or maybe challenge our own positions mm -hmm. and maybe challenge the way in which we view the world and, and we're comfortable. We want to have, you know, Netflix and football and chicken wings and, sure. you know, we want to have it for $4 or whatever it is, you know, uh, so. even vegans want to make their food taste like animals. Yeah. Look like animal food, taste like animal food. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, I find it interesting that a lot of the world religions um, either fast from animals or abstain from eating animals or there's like a part of their ritual is like not eating animals or certain animal certain parts animals, yeah. or yeah. yeah. Cause I know like um, uh, I'm a big trapper fisherman hunter, you know, and uh, a lot of people are asking me about beavers. I trap a lot of beavers and uh, you know, the old, the old adage was, you know, Catholics could eat beaver on Friday because it was like a fish really yeah, yeah 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 so it's like they they knew it wasn't a fish right but it like got passed as a fish as far as like the lenten like you being able to eat right. you could eat that meat on friday <laughs> like the hebrews uh yeah. had 10 laws and right and then they developed 600 and something more to get around those right <laughs> yeah 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 the hole in the sheet and the whole thing right. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah so i i uh have tried to make it a Christmas tradition at my own household to eat a beaver pot roast. And it has been um, interesting to say the least, because it's a pot roast, which is a good Christmas tradition regardless, because that's something okay. easy, easy. You start, you turn it on in the morning, you can do all the prep work whenever, two days before, set your crock pot in the fridge, you know, then turn mm -hmm. it on, you're good. Mine just happens to have a beaver in it. All right. Tastes like chicken? Um, Beef. That's very beefy yeah 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 it'd be hard for you to tell the difference between that and beef it's stringy like a beef pot roast it's got that rich flavor um all the fats on the outside of the beaver so you don't have any of the so you have to do some added fats i'll add butter or something like that but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i, I recently good. had duck for the first time like wild duck or just yeah. duck well duck I just duck yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, there's a new place in milan okay um coyote something and it's kind of an upscale um, wow. Americana type wow. food and they had duck, uh, duck egg rolls. As a matter of fact, wow. and it tasted kind of like pork to me. Mm. And it was it was good. I, I enjoyed love it. Love duck. I love wild duck. I love hunting ducks. I've never been in a duck blind, but I do love hunting ducks. I know that sounds paradoxical, but uh, I love it, man. I love it. Mm. It's uh, I'll uh, I'll clip some ducks and sit there and take the feathers off and i'll roast them whole i'll stuff them with oranges and the feathers? Uh, no yeah <laughs> i do give the feathers to my children and they they make like little mandalas and little the little you know crafty right, things yeah, yeah. with glue and stuff like that <laughs> and then there's just feathers all over our house so but um yeah i don't know i just uh i, I, I enjoy talking about um these problems with somebody that 
is knowledgeable about maybe how it is that we feed ourselves and how it is that we uh, we are running into a bit of a population uh, crumuppins, so to speak. And it's not necessarily even um, the Western world, mm-hmm. obviously, is the issue. In fact, the Western world is in decline. Most of the Western developed countries are in a population decline. You know, Elon Musk is going on and on that we're in a population decline. Uh, but yet the world continues to grow. Right. And it's and a very the fastest growth is in the worst place. Right. In Africa. Right. Right. M- many of those soils. Which you recently had a chance to go to Africa. Um, I've been four times. Four times. Yeah. Okay. Two different countries. Okay. Um, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa can be a very fertile area, but the the soils there are so old and they've been used for so long, they're just depleted. And it, it takes a lot of effort to get them back to a productive soil. Um, growing up or having a soil near the equator where there aren't extremes in temperature. Um, it's just one temperature. Well, it, 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 roughly. Yeah, the, there aren't extremes. Right. And there's always uh, weathering going on. Right. In, in the winter here, there's not, there's no biological activity in our soils. It's just down to a minimum. Um, and there's not as much uh, cropping done, and so you're not using the soil as much. Uh, but over there, or in the equatorial areas, mm-hmm. um, and there's subsistent living as well. Right. So that's what makes this even more. The, the even temperature right. um, uses up the organic matter. The organic matter oxidizes or burns up, so the soils are all depleted of organic matter. Right, and they just can't produce, and so you're you're looking at an area that is the fastest growing, and uh, produces the least amount of food per acre, uh, and it's just a bad combination. Hmm. Now, what have you you've you've gone over there four times to in what capacity? Uh, mission trips. Okay, mission trips for your church. Right. Cool. What do y'all right. do? So, um, well, I did. Uh, what, the whole group uh, went over there for um, uh, medical. Okay. To set up a medical clinic uh, to places that don't get uh, medical attention. Mm-hmm. Um, in Sierra Leone, there was a place, um, that's the village called Tayama, um, and it's uh, a fairly good sized village that is um, a center for other villages satellite villages oh, around wow. that are all smaller oh wow and these a lot of these places have no uh, electricity um and it's subsistence living right and it's it's grim a lot of it's just grim because they can't a, a man can't produce um more than he needs uh to support his family or not much more Right. Uh, so I, I went, and that's a dangerous that's a dangerous economic circumstance to be in, especially in that area of the world. Because then, if certain resources are located or found there, that's when exploitation really starts to to take off. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, not in Africa, but I've been to Haiti, and the, um, the second trip I went to Haiti um, was it was a village in the mountains. And I went around with uh, a couple of locals who could help interpret for me. Um, and we went around outside the village to subsistence farmers. And uh, I would ask them, you know, how much food do you produce? How much do you make? 
right. a day. And, you know, uh, uh, notoriously, it's a dollar a day or so. Right. And I would ask, what do you need to grow twice as much? Right. Or make $2 a day? Because you think about your income doubling. Right. You know, their income doubling would just Be tremendous. make them rich men. Yeah. Um, and I would try to figure out ways to do that for them. I saw... Uh, that was your mission. That was my mission, my part of the mission. Of course, was to try uh, the other to part. Economically, I, I talked to someone, and I don't know if he was in your church or not, or it, they had gone to Haiti, and it was a younger man, and um, he was there to help in a similar fashion, uh, uh, help economically some of these smaller businesses and things like that and one of them was and i thought this was so fascinating one of them was this this woman whose husband had died she had three sons and um they walked up a mountain and picked coffee mm-hmm. and then brought it back to their house and then hand roasted it with a with a like a little pan roaster and uh the, so if, if you know anything about roasting coffee you you really need an even roast that even roast comes from time and it comes from movement, mm-hmm. right? And it comes a from constant. like a, a constant, steady source of heat. So they had none of those things. So this was a very burnt and so different, uh, uh, very unique Stout tasting coffee. Co- <laughs> it's very unique tasting coffee. And so the guy was like, he was like, uh, he came into the brewery one day and he was like, hey, you want a bunch of coffee from Haiti? And I was like, yeah, you know, how much? And he was like, well, just, uh, how much get off get? My yeah, hands. and so I was like, I think I gave him like a hundred bucks or something. I was like, here, man, you know, help, help, hope this helps out whoever, you know. And then a couple months later, like he brought back these like giant, like 10, 20 pound coffee bags full of like the worst freaking coffee. <laughs> and uh, it was all whole beans. And I tried to make some beer out of it and it was terrible. And, I, and then I, I gave it away to a lot of people because I'm like, you will not get this coffee anywhere else in the world. Right. This is hand roasted from Haiti. I forget the woman's name. I used to have it memorized when I would give the coffee away. And then I always ask people, I was like, hey, what do you think about that Haitian coffee? Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, it was very unique. You know, it was, it was interesting. It was just like, it was muddy and burnt is what it was. Right. But, you know, so, um, but anyways, I, uh, I've enjoyed having this conversation with you to kind of bring awareness uh to people that a lot of these um you you and i in in private we've shared a lot of conversations where we realize there's not just an easy black or white solution um and and what you do as a soil scientist i think and what you've kind of explained here today has kind of explained that yeah this is this is pretty complex um you know Climate science is pretty complex. Soil science is a part of climate mm-hmm. science. Um, so there's a lot of complex systems at work here. Um, and we just know that um, we're running into some walls on some of these things, and we need to bring awareness to it. Right. And uh, I'm happy my work has um, contributed to the database of knowledge sure that's that's going to try to figure this stuff out uh, and how many more months until way. you retire uh, about six june of next okay. year and then no yeah. more augering soil no more never again we'll see that um 10 years ago or so my job kind of changed from augering soil uh, being out in the field a right. lot to being in the office a lot 
tied to a database right and pushing numbers around and I, that's i said when i stopped having a career and started having a job mm. so uh that, that i hope your bosses are listening yeah suck it <laughs> usda nothing they can do about it that comes yeah. down from washington yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, well, i hope joey b's listening to this joey b if you're listening to this right and he your big boss Oh, no, no, not really. I'm, I'm sort of uh, detached from the line of succession. Okay. For okay. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know anything about our government, so <laughs> I don't think I do either. Oh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, don't listen to the other podcasts. Uh, but anyways, thanks for coming on, man. I'm glad that I finally got you on here. Um, yeah, I was happy. Yeah, happy to do it. it's fun. Relax. I told you it was easy. Yeah, I didn't and know you were, were gonna, right. I didn't know what we were going to talk about or anything, but, you know. I surely didn't think it would go in some of these directions, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it did. But you never know. <laughs> Here we are. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks for watching The Logical Podcast. Again, my guest, Craig Harris. Um, tune in next time, guys, and thank you again, Mike Weatherford, for making all this happen. See you guys later.